Everyone, welcome to another awesome day with the struggle. I'm Sean Lee. I'm James Park. We're here to discuss the reality of daily struggles and how it's a constant no matter where we are on our journey. Join us for honest conversations as we navigate life, business, and career challenges. Learn how to accept the struggles and how it's all about the mindset. So this week we we dig into imposter syndrome and how it shows up in each of our lives. I think no matter what stage you're in, it's going to be something that you're going to have to deal with because comparison is so natural for humans. And so we go into how imposter syndrome shows up in my life and Sean's life. We talk about some big sports stars and businessmen who probably also go through this at some point and what it is that they do to help them get out of it. Enjoy the episode. All right, everyone, welcome. Sorry we uh, missed last week. I had a conflict, so couldn't record. Oh, this is James. This is Sean. This is going to be episode 45. We're recording on Sunday, November 6, 2022. It's officially been a year since we started recording, Sean. Over a year. Over a year, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I think we, we totally missed our milestone celebration. It's okay. We'll celebrate at milestone 50. I think that was the big number that we're trying to reach. Yeah. And you said at that point, I could buy better equipment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think this week, we want to focus a little bit on imposter syndrome. I believe everyone goes through this. No matter where you are in your career, in life, there comes a point where you kind of wonder, am I even doing this right? Am I even successful? Am I... Am I good at this job? Am I good at this hobby? It can sneak up on you in any way, whether you're a founder, even just a employee somewhere working on your own thing. There's always that moment in time where you, you begin to have self-doubt. And the reason why I bring it up is it's been four months now since I started this, this new sales job. And I'm just not sure if I'm good at this role. Metrics alone, looking at my numbers, I'm doing pretty decent. I'm doing okay. Hitting my activity numbers for the week. For anyone that's not in sales, it's very driven by activities and the amount of business that you bring in. For me, I'm in an inside sales role where my role is to set meetings for my sales directors. And we want to hit 300 plus activities in a week and hit this goal of a stretch goal of nine meetings set for our directors a week. I've never gotten to nine, ever. I've gotten close. I've had a week where I had seven. Wow. Yeah. I had a pretty solid week that week and and it felt good. But even at the end of it, a big part of my psyche was asking myself, am I good enough to get to nine? Am I even doing well? And I'm told by my managers, by my sales directors, even my regional manager that I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing fine. But it's just really strange that even though you're told that you're doing well, there can be moments in time where you will doubt yourself. And I think that's the biggest struggle for me in the last month is really wondering, am I good at this job? Am I good in sales? Should I continue this role? Yeah. I mean, if I could share a story about imposters, I mean, the first time I really recognized and acknowledged it was in business school. And, you know, going into business school, I think going to any school, usually like a, especially like a, a top school, there's, you're surrounded by, you know, amazing people, people who are working at big companies or have 
big titles or whatnots. And you're just like, oh, shoot, like, who am I? What am I doing here? Yeah, what am I doing here amongst this crowd, right? Can I compare to other people? And I couldn't, in my opinion. I didn't have any big company names on my resume. I don't work for the Fangs. I was an entrepreneur, but my companies are relatively obscure to the world, right? Very much so. Nobody's heard of them. But it wasn't until I started doing the podcast and interviewing people that I realized that everybody I interviewed had imposter syndrome. Like everybody. At every level, right? doesn't matter how successful they were. At every level. Yeah. And part of the reason is if they didn't feel like they had something to grow, they wouldn't be here. <laughs> like, why would they be doing the MBA? They already thought they were like at the you know, height of their career or whatever, the peak of their performance. Like, why would they go pursue an MBA and put themselves through that, both the time and the money? And it came back full circle for me from a acknowledgement standpoint and that this is actually a good feeling because it means that you are pushing yourself to learn, to grow. And if we go back to our conversation and we you know, rewind to before you started this job, the purpose of it wasn't to be good. It was to learn sales and commit yourself to a, at least a year or two or three of learning sales. And the trap, the mental trap that gets us is that once we are kind of in it and we get the rhythm of things, we forget that, hey, we're here to learn. You know, instead we're thinking, hey, like, look at that guy, look at that gal, you know, like we start comparing ourselves and saying like, I'm not good enough. And that's what happens in the NBA was, was I was like, oh man, like they're director of this, right? I'm just a lowly CEO of a nobody company, <laughs> you know, like, but it's all perspective too. That's another story. But I started recognizing that when I feel imposter syndrome, it's not necessarily a bad thing to feel imposter syndrome. You have to be comparing yourself to somebody, I believe. Like this is a real McCoy. You are James. You are the real McCoy. I am a fraud. <laughs> you know, I like that. It all starts with comparison, which is normal. It is normal. Everyone goes to that. Yeah. I remember actually I wrote about this a little bit. The trick to comparison is to compare yourself to you from yesterday. Mm-hmm. That I grow. And maybe even the comparison to other people. It's not necessarily about feeling behind from them, but more of a mindset of what can I learn to get to where they are? Mm. And maybe that's what it is about imposter syndrome, why it happens at any level, because like you said, everybody has this weird pursuit of trying to get to another level. And just because we go through that, we end up always looking and comparing to other people because maybe we want to get there. Right. Yeah, imposter syndrome is very natural. That's a double-edged sword with many things in life or everything in life is that, you know, the comparison in the beginning is helpful because then it's, it helps you, you know, create a, a benchmark or a goal or whatnot to so say, oh, this is like where I would like to be. But I think where it becomes destructive is when we become obsessed about comparing ourselves to that person versus, like you said, comparing to yourself as like, all right, how am I benchmarking myself towards my personal path, my personal growth? Right. And I, I think maybe the reason it's harder now I think about it is that it's much easier to look at somebody else as benchmark than to benchmark yourself. It's really hard to see yourself and see change. And maybe that's the other thing is a lot of times you can feel imposter syndrome just because if you're trying to get to another level, but not acting on it, not actually doing anything to get there. 
not taking the personal time to grow or to learn more. And you're just repeating the same thing over and over again and banging your head against the wall and being like, why am I not improving? But the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. And maybe that's a big part of where some people can get stuck and where it gets really dangerous is when you want to get better, but either you don't know how to, so you do the same thing over and over again, or you just choose not to and you do the same thing over and over again. But I will say like, there's something about that though. And these are difficult conversations that we're having because there is no right answer. Because as I hear you say that, I can also make the argument that part of the reason I think I can find success in certain things that I do is because I am sometimes just very stubbornly persistent. Like take golf. I'm sorry to bring it back to golf, but it is like the perfect (laughs) example of this. I was actually thinking about this because my golf game like improved dramatically and then it fucking tanked and then it plateaued. You know, it feels like I'm literally just like not getting better. And it sucks because the first three months of golf was just like, every game was like a little bit of improvement. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah I'm getting good. Yeah, like I'm, I'm going to go pro next year, you know, at this rate. You know? But I've, I mean, the past two months really plateaued. I'm stuck around like the high 90s and low 100s. And it's a shitty feeling. But I literally have to check myself and be like, why would I expect myself to improve that dramatically? Like continue this trajectory of growth? That's not realistic. What is more realistic is that you're going to have plateaus. And to be really successful, I have to suck it up and really continue through that plateau. Right. And that's literally what I'm feeling right now. It's just like I go out, I'm just like, just grind it out. Just get some practice in. It's so true. We always define success as this endpoint for somebody when they reach that. But we never get to really see how much effort and struggles and all the all the shit that they went through for God knows how long, maybe five years, 10 years, 20 years to get to where they are. And we only remember that that successful moment where they became a success. But yeah, it really is about grinding out if you have some kind of vision or you have some kind of goal that you want to get to. Yes. And I think that's exactly what's needed to balance out that fear of, well, what if I'm just like doing the same thing, but not getting better? I think that would only happen if you don't have some kind of end point in mind, right? Like my end point in mind is like, I want to break 90 by the end of the like, not break 90. I want to like consistently play in the high 80s for my golf game. By when? By the end of the year, in two months. This year? Yeah. Stretch goal. It's a stretch goal, yeah. I mean, my lowest so far is a 94. That game, I, I don't know why we're talking more about golf, but that game, giving myself more excuses, I don't know why I played from the Blues. It was a bunch of dudes who were like, we're playing from the Blues. I was like, ah, fuck it, I'll play from the Blues. Even though like Hesson was like, play from the Whites. And I was like, all right. Had I played from the Whites, I think I would have shot an 89. Anyway, besides the point, that wouldn't count anyway. I would just break 90 once. I need to do it consistently over and over and over again. Then that's how I know. It wasn't just a, a fluke. But with that in mind, it makes the grind bearable. Like I know I need to put in the time to get there. It's not going to get there magically or in, in a straightforward fashion. It's going to get there with a 94. And then after that, I remember this so clearly, I shot a 106, <laughs> you know, which is insane. It was like, 12 strokes over, like, come on, Sean, that's not even close. And then to like a 
a 99. It was just going to bounce all over the place, but I just know, at least now, if I were to actually look back at the progress in the last six months or five months, I'm like, I'm actually very happy that I progressed from like 125 <laughs> to, you know, max handicap to be able to consistently shoot under 110. It, it wasn't that long ago. I think it was like three months ago that I was just trying to shoot under 110. And now it's like, I can shoot under 110, you know, no problem. I can shoot under 150% of the time. And maybe that's the important part. What you said there is, is success feels that much sweeter with that many more failures. It definitely does. And the grind, when you put in the effort, I'm trying to think about if any sports team or any sports related thing where you win, or even in sales, without some of the struggles, without having failure, if you only have success, I wonder if you truly enjoy it, if you truly know what it feels like. I don't even think it's possible though. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Like Michael Jordan, right? We talk about like his six championships or whatever. And the first one that he won was after going through maybe two or three years of losing at the championship game. Like he felt the sense of loss before he felt the sense of winning. And maybe that made him who he is. Besides the fact that he's one of the most competitive people ever, everyone talks about how he was cut from his high school basketball team. Maybe if he wasn't cut and he won a championship in high school, maybe that competitive edge or his hunger to win or to prove everyone wrong would never have been there. And maybe he wouldn't be the person that he is now. Yeah. Just take a look at LeBron, right? LeBron was one of the last players to be recruited from high school. And he thought he had like straight to success path and it took him like how many years to win a ring? Then you look at people like, I mean, we're from Detroit, so we can cite this, but you look at Grant Hill, right? <laughs> like whatever happened to him, right? There was so much hype around that guy. And it's just like nothing really much amounted, even though it was like everybody was 100% sure that he, his career would be a success. I mean, Matthew Stafford, after he transferred to... <laughs> Rams. <laughs> but I mean, what I'm trying to get at, there's so many examples of people who are like, if you look at the stats, I remember reading this somewhere, like if you look at the stats of first round picks, right, for any sport, for basketball or, or football, and it's just like how many of those people actually live up to pan out. Yeah, not many. Statistically, very, very few. And I think a lot of it, and I'm, part of this study, I think had to do with people's mentality too. It was looking at that. Like you're saying, like, if you're just like, I was born for success or, you know, like success is guaranteed. And it's like, when you fail, you get crushed. Yeah. yeah. Because you're just like, whoa, that's not the reality I expected. I thought I was guaranteed something versus this mentality of, you know, to cite Berkeley Haas, like student always. It's just like every shitty round, every shitty week of sales, you know, is just, all right, well, that was, that was a grind week, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And just being able to see it like that from that perspective is helpful. And that's something I have to, again, it, it's not something that just because you do it a lot, let me take a step back. It is a, like a mental muscle that the more you flex it, the better you get at it. Because I, I will say like, I do catch myself a lot, but it doesn't mean that this feeling doesn't go away. I have impossible, you know, not to toot my own horn, but most people would say like, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for almost 14 years. Yeah, you have so many companies under your belt. But you know what's crazy? I still feel imposter syndrome as an entrepreneur. You know why? It's when I start comparing myself. 
It's because you chase bigger and bigger things. Well, that's one thing, but the going after bigger things, like that's the internal personal challenge, like you said. That doesn't bother me. That doesn't give me imposter syndrome because I don't feel like an imposter towards a future version of myself. What does give me imposter syndrome is when I'm like, oh my gosh, like, look at that entrepreneur. He like did this and he's like, boom, bam, like success. Or that guy, he's like retired. Or that guy, he made a hundred million dollars. You know, it's just like, ah, oh, shit, what am I doing? You know, <laughs> but that's what causes me imposter syndrome. And I have to catch myself more and more these days and just be like, stop comparing yourself because circumstances are different. Like you don't even know what they're going through. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what they sacrificed. A common example of somebody that honestly like gives me a lot of unease in comparison as an entrepreneur. And I, I don't know why I even care to look up to this guy is Elon, right? This guy's like, God knows how many companies, really how many companies. I mean, he publicly runs SpaceX, Tesla, and, and now Twitter. It's just like, Holy fuck. <laughs> like, dude. Do you really want to be Elon Musk though? No, I don't. And I'll tell you why. Because like his kids hate him. One of his kids, I think, wants to change their name. Is it the kid that's named like XYZ or something? No, no, no. It's one of those <laughs> older kids who like literally is like they they want to change their last name away from Musk. They're just like hates her dad. And it's like this guy like sleeps. You know, th- there's certain parts where I think depending on your personality, depending on the stage in your life, you're like, oh my God, admire that. Uh, he like sleeps on the factory floor of SpaceX. He sleeps on the factory floor of like Tesla. You know, it's like he's that dedicated to his dream, his vision, whatever it is, right? And so like, there's a kind of spirit there where just like, I don't know if admiration is the right word, but it, it is inspiring. You're just like, wow, that person's really dedicated, you know, to, to making that shit happen. It's amazing what he's done, what he's accomplished, but at what cost? Yeah, at what cost, right? I watched this documentary about SpaceX on Netflix, if you think, look at the failure SpaceX went through, it was like on the brink of bankruptcy. They had launched, I think, 16 or 20 rockets and, and all of them failed, blew up. And he had to pull out personal money, I think $100 million to like fund that last rocket that finally succeeded. And if it didn't succeed, they wouldn't exist today. But it's, it's stories like that, we're just like, wow. Yeah. You know, that's what we all remember. But if you go back and look at like how many failures, it's just like, holy shit, like this guy, I can't imagine the stress that their team was going through. Was, he's like, this is our last rocket. If it doesn't work, we're done. And now they're fucking launching and landing rockets like nobody's business. <laughs> it's insane. Maybe a big part of failure is found in how you can get out of that. Right? If there's so much expectation for you as a first round draft pick or you're Elon Musk and you're so smart and you're firing off rockets and they're not working. And you said that a lot of first round pick people, they don't pan out because maybe a lot of them don't have the mental ability to recover from failure at such a big stage. And it's those people who they're just wired a little bit differently or are just that much more driven to overcome that failure. And that just how broken you are at failing that's when a lot of people can't recover from that portion. And it's also a mental game. Like you're saying, it's, it's totally a mentality thing to go through failure and then to be able to recover from that and continue going, doing the work, going through the grind. I think my secret there is, is catching like small failures. And I think when I look at like, again, LeBron, MJ, or Tiger for you know whatever personality flaws he has, 
I mean, I think the reason when I study some of these people like they're successful or Elon is that they handle small failures really well. So that when big failures come, it's just like you're kind of prepared for it. They put themselves in a lot of situations where they they have opportunities to fail. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's true. And maybe also it's how they handle success. Like Kobe Bryant won a championship and then the next day he was just grinding out at the gym. For these guys, a huge success. They don't even take a day off. They go back to work. Maybe that's what a lot of overcoming imposter syndrome is. It's actually just about the process that you go through. And to know that if you have a process and you just keep updating that process, regardless of failure or success, then eventually the process becomes part of who you are, regardless of what the outcome is. And then eventually over time, the outcome just ends up being success. Yeah. Yeah, I guess to stick with this sports theme, sticking with the uh, Philadelphia Sixers, trust the process. That was their theme for a long time. Wow, I forgot about that. That's so good. Trust the process. If there's like a model that I internally just live by, it's not 100%, but I would say like 70% of my days, I'm just, I know I'm just grinding. I'm just like, just trust the process. And to tie it all back though, you have to have at least some kind of endpoint in mind. And it's not like a finality of any sort. It's just like, that's the next benchmark. There's milestones. Yeah, that's the next milestone. And when I have a good milestone in mind, I'm just like, I don't mind grinding. And then when I have shitty days, I'm just like, I literally just say like, okay, just log that as like practice. It's all practice towards the goal. Like what worked? Also, I, I, I do actually dissect. I'm just like, all right, what worked today? What didn't work today? What are some factors that cause X, Y, Z not to work today? As I'm talking about this, I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, these are the things that I do to help me get over that failure versus just like, you know, throwing my clubs and feeling like distraught. Just like, what made this round so terrible? And it's like, okay, well, I was physically tired. I didn't get enough sleep. That could be a reason. I know like what I'm doing wrong. I took too many like hero shots. Like I didn't play conservatively 300 yards and I try to do a, a bomber and versus like just do two like solid irons, you know, like shit like that. That helps me reset my mentality. And so there's a piece of advice. I think it is doing those um, quick debriefs or kind of like a postmortem. I mean, it kind of is. It's just lessons to take away from whatever didn't work, whatever day that you had. Yeah. Yeah. Or week, you know, in your case. And again, it doesn't matter how bad or good, as long as you're always pulling away a lesson from it. What went well, what didn't go well. And again, that's just process. Yeah. I will say one thing that's been nagging at me quite a bit and ties into all this is that it still comes back to comparing is what more should I be doing? You know, what else should I be doing? And that's where we can learn from other people and pick apart their process and include it into your own, kind of mold it into what works for you. I'm not saying learn what Elon Musk does and then repeat his thing. There's just no way. You got to take bits and pieces of what works for other people, try it out for yourself, and it might work, it might not. Yeah. And one last bit of advice that I constantly have to remind myself is just like, take your time. I think when you rush it a little bit, when your expectations that I should be doing this faster, I should be learning this faster, I should be, you know, improving faster. Sometimes you have to say like, no, it's okay. This might take longer than I expect. Like, sure, my goal is, you know, break 90 consistently by the end of the year. But if I don't, 
okay, maybe just push that another quarter or another six months and say like, all right, this is a more realistic timeline, but keep at it. And I say that because that is actually one of my biggest stressors. And I imagine with imposter syndrome, that's actually probably one of the biggest stressors as well is, you know, just like I should have already improved by now. I should have already be closing nine, you know, or booking nine meetings every single week by now. And it's good to have those goals and aspirations, but at the same time, it can become destructive if it just ends up beating yourself up. Like right now, like I'm, you know, working through that golf project and it's just like, I could beat myself up for it or I just be like, you know what? I have been steadily chipping away at this thing, you know, for the past two months. And I started a doc, like I've engaged in some phone calls with people. I've been pitching the idea to every golfer I know and getting their feedback. And and then like what stresses me out next, like lately was just like, people are like, oh, how can I help out? Like, can I help out? Can I do something? I'm just like, yes, but I don't even know what, Yeah, <laughs> you know? But again, taking that pressure off and just saying, all right, just chip away at it. Just be consistent, be persistent and give yourself some time, right? Four months on the job, James. What's four months? Yeah, four months, not that long, but it sure feels long. I'm sure it does. It's <laughs> really long. <laughs> a good thing about these conversations that, you know, we, we can help keep each other accountable to our goals and objectives. And, you know, one thing that you did say was you want to dedicate at least this next year or two to learning the sales process, right? And four months out of even a year, that's, well, you're only a third of the way through. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's totally right. It's about setting the right expectations and not expecting to hit the ground at 100% pace, 100% running, knowing everything. It's just not going to happen. Any new job or endeavor you go through, there is that learning curve. Yeah. Again, when stuff like this happens, I, I actually do remind myself of LeBron or Tiger. You know, it's just like, how many years did it take LeBron to win a ring? Nine years. That's why, like, whatever people think of a LeBron, it's just like, especially from the Midwest. <laughs> whatever people think of LeBron, whatever shenanigans, you know, or, or missteps he, he made when he went to the Heat, whatever. He continued hustling for nine fucking years. Everyone was like, thought he was already going to be the king and he was going to walk in Jordan's steps, right? In 2004, five, six, seven, eight, wait, maybe it's never going to happen. Nine years. And this guy's like, no, I'm going to do it. And then he continued doing it, right? Yeah. And then he came back to the Cavaliers, won a ring, and he's still playing. He's still playing. <laughs> in my opinion, I, I think he's still trying to play his best game. Yeah. And it's evolved so much. Tiger, I bring up Tiger because what his previous championship, I think it was 2007, was like, I think a Masters win or something. It was 2007. And then he didn't win it again for 12 years till 2019. Everybody thought he was, he was never going to win again. It was like, he's in his 40s. Like everybody else counting him out. But when those people like inspire us and they do it again, people are just like, holy shit, that is like the most glorious thing I've ever seen. And that's what we celebrate. But nobody celebrates those 12 years or those nine years of just like where everybody's talking shit about them. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you suck. You're never going to win a ring, LeBron. We thought you're going to be like Jordan. You're never going to be like Jordan. <laughs> you suck. It made the success that much sweeter. Oh, yeah. All those years, the toil, the pain, the loss. That's so why I'm just like, dude, people forget that. I remember that. It's like nine years, dude. Here you and I are like grunting about three or four months. <laughs> yeah. Why isn't my game better? Hope that inspired some people today. Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.